Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, March 5th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the NSA program Snowden Revealed might be done. Microsoft is readying a Windows Lite. Poor iPhone sales are hitting Foxconn workers hard. And why one seemingly random password is a poor choice if you care about your security. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. According to a senior GOP congressional aide, the NSA has shut down that program revealed by Edward Snowden in 2013 that collected domestic phone and text records. Quoting the New York Times, the agency has not used the system in months, and the Trump administration might not ask Congress to renew its legal authority, which is set to expire at the end of the year, according to the aide, Luke Murray, the House Minority Leader's National Security Advisor, end quote. But, I mean, we shouldn't assume that the NSA has just stopped snooping entirely, right? It's probably far more likely that techniques have just evolved. Indeed, quote, intelligence agencies can use the technique on data obtained through other means, like collection from networks abroad where there are fewer legal limits. But those approaches do not offer the same systematic access to domestic phone records. Congress ended and replaced the program disclosed by Mr. Snowden with the USA Freedom Act of 2015, which will expire in December. Security and privacy advocates have been gearing up for a legislative battle over whether to extend or revise the program and with what changes, if any. Mr. Murray, who is an advisor for Representative Kevin McCarthy of California, raised doubts over the weekend about whether that debate will be necessary. His remarks came during a podcast for the national security website Lawfare, end quote. In The Verge, Tom Warren is reporting that Microsoft is creating a Chrome OS-like version of Windows called Windows Lite, designed to run on dual-screen devices and possible Chromebook competitors. Quote, Sources familiar with Microsoft's plans tell The Verge that the software maker is stripping back its Windows user interface with dual screens in mind. This new hardware could launch as early as later this year, depending on chip and PC maker readiness. Windows Lite, as it's codenamed internally, is a more stripped-down version of Windows that is initially being prioritized for dual-screen devices. Intel has been pushing OEMs to create this new hardware category, and machines could appear much like Microsoft's courier concept dual-screen laptops, or even foldable displays in the future. Either way, Microsoft wants Windows to be ready for PC makers to take advantage of it, end quote. Apple has quietly acquired the patent portfolio of a failed smart home security startup called Lighthouse AI sometime last year. The patents related to computer vision-based security, so visual authentication stuff. In all, Apple acquired eight of Lighthouse AI's patents, quoting from 9to5Mac. As for what Apple has in plans for this technology remains to be seen. The company could clearly use the authentication-related technology for future iterations of Face ID. Further, some of the software-related patents and patent applications could be used to further expand HomeKit's support for security systems, end quote. 
There's been a weird story evolving over the last several weeks in the world of crypto. Coinbase, that crypto exchange that is the largest in the world, announced the acquisition of Neutrino, a startup that traces cryptocurrency transactions. But among Neutrino's key staff members were former members of a collective called Hacking Team, which, quote, sold surveillance and intrusion tools to international governments with dubious human rights records, end quote. Journalist advocacy group Reporters Without Borders once labeled Hacking Team, quote, enemies of the internet. So all of a sudden, across the various crypto communities came widespread outrage at the acquisition and a hashtag delete Coinbase movement. There's actually a funny little side story to the delete Coinbase movement, wherein people actually had trouble deleting their Coinbase accounts because, quote, to close a Coinbase account, you have to have a balance of zero. Some users with infinitesimal fractions of cryptocurrency called dust in their accounts, which are usually leftovers from various transactions, were reportedly met with an error message when they tried to send these small amounts to an external wallet, saying the amount was too small to send, end quote. But then things got even more interesting, quoting from Masari.io, in an alarming interview on Cheddar, Coinbase Director of Institutional Sales, Christine Sandler, suggested the company's controversial acquisition of blockchain intelligence service Neutrino may have been precipitated by a violation of customer data policies from previous Coinbase vendors. Quote, it was important for us to migrate away from our current providers, Sandler said. Quote, they were selling client data to outside sources and it was compelling for us to get control over that and have proprietary technology that we could leverage to keep the data safe and protect our clients, end quote. And now, today, word that Coinbase will continue with the Neutrino acquisition, but will lay off the Neutrino employees who previously worked for Hacking Team. In a post on the Coinbase blog titled Living Up to Our Values and the Neutrino Acquisition, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong wrote, quote, we had a gap in our diligence process. While we looked hard at the technology and security of the Neutrino product, we did not properly evaluate everything from the perspective of our mission and values as a crypto company, end quote. He concluded by writing, those who previously worked at Hacking Team, despite the fact that they have no current affiliation with Hacking Team, will transition out of Coinbase. This was not an easy decision, but their prior work does present a conflict with our mission, end quote. As China sees weaker demand for iPhones, it's not just Apple that is being forced to shift gears a bit. Foxconn also is struggling. Foxconn factory workers are seeing their salaries slashed, benefits reduced, even laundry services cut off, even shuttle buses to and from work canceled, forcing people to walk 40 minutes to get back to their dormitories. If you know the Foxconn model, it's putting terms like company town and company store into stark relief. If you work for Foxconn, you live in Foxconn dormitories. You have most of your basic necessities provided to you by Foxconn. So these sorts of cutbacks, these are not just perks being cut back. This is a big deal, and many workers are quitting in response. Quoting the South China Morning Post, more than 100,000 migrant workers live and work inside the special trade zone, which accommodated around 300,000 workers at its height at the end of 2014. 
However, the sharp drop in iPhone sales since the middle of last year, much of it due to weaker Chinese demand, has cast a shadow over the manufacturing giant. Around two dozen workers told the South China Morning Post that their salaries had been cut at the end of last year, an unprecedented step in their experience. A Foxconn worker who declined to give his name told the Post that the peak production season last year lasted only about 20 days, which cut his salary from around 4,000 yuan, around $598 U.S., in October to 3,000 yuan in November, end quote. Bloomberg recently reported that Foxconn plans to cut production costs by 20 billion yuan or 3 billion U.S. dollars in 2019 alone. And recent data suggests that mobile phone exports in Henan province, where Foxconn operates, plunged 23.7% in January compared to a year ago previously. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again, and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. Normally, I would save something like this for a weekend long read, but it's too good to sit on. Matthew Ball, former head of strategy for Amazon Studios, has been writing big, long strategy think pieces about Netflix and the whole streaming wars for about a year now. As I think I've said before, his writing about this has completely colored my thinking about what's going on in this space. Well, he's out with another deep dive, and I think you should definitely read it, but let me sum up a bit. We've been thinking that this year will be the year that Netflix will get some serious challenges on its home turf. Disney, Apple, AT&T, slash Warner Media, the universe of streaming players that are looking to create Netflix killers are coming now. 
But Matthew argues that this probably won't be the year that Netflix should be worried about, and next year isn't the year either. In short, in the piece, he games out all of the challengers arriving on Netflix's turf and says that if Netflix should be worried, the real issues will be coming years out. Matthew says that, for example, Disney Plus will probably steal watch time from Netflix initially, but it will be years before it could actually steal subscribers, if it even ever does. Warner Media has licensing agreements it is stuck in, and that means that its big attractive content, like, say, Friends, can't even be used to entice subscribers until the second half of 2020, so it likely won't be a meaningful competitor until at least then. Matthew thinks NBC's ad-supported streaming play is sort of a non-starter because it will be tied so closely to the existing pay TV paradigm. And Hulu's library of content will actually shrink in the coming years because its owners, people like NBC Universal and Warner Media, are, again, trying to spin up streaming services of their own. So in a way, Netflix is being helped because the service that is currently Netflix's biggest competitor, Hulu, will soon be hobbled. As for Apple, Matthew thinks Apple won't spend big enough to ever seriously compete with Netflix. And bottom line, Matthew says that Netflix's so-called licensed content crisis that lots of people have been wringing their hands over is kind of overblown anyway because Netflix is so far ahead in terms of installed user base that it can still afford to pay a ton of money to keep licensed titles on a case-by-case basis in the short term like it did for Friends. And this part was fascinating. Instead of worrying that Netflix is in some sort of unsustainable cash burn spiral, Matthew argues that actually this might have been some Bezos-level genius strategy of building a moat before your competitors even show up. Quote, It's clear that Netflix isn't concerned about unprecedented increases in competition in its most competitive market. Were that the case, it wouldn't have raised its prices, let alone by more than ever before. This doesn't mean Netflix made the right call, but consider the implications. By the time competition arrives in earnest in 2020, Netflix is likely to be spending close to $20 billion a year, eight times what HBO spends and 50% more than Disney plus Fox spends on non-sports TV and putting out truly unprecedented volumes of content, at-bats, as it were, that will inevitably produce numerous hits. To this end, Netflix's price increase will aid the company's efforts to outspend its competitors before they enter the SVOD market. 2020 will also see Netflix release several series from each of Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy, and Kenya Barris. And during 2019, Netflix is expected to add at least 30 million subscribers, according to BTIG. More than Disney, Warner Media, and NBC Universal are likely to add in their first years combined. Between this and its price increase, Netflix's revenue is therefore likely to grow by $4.5 billion in 2019, or more than 70% of home box offices, including Cinemax, total revenue, end quote. I've asked Matthew to come on the weekend episodes to talk about stuff like this before, and he's begged off for now, but he says he's open to talk sometime later this year. Finally today, Chris spoke yesterday about the coming future of password-free logins. And I've done a bunch of stories about those massive caches of stolen credentials that are floating around out there. When it comes to passwords, one strategy a lot of people use is to just straight up do a random set of numbers and letters, right? And so you would think something like 
JI32K7AU4A83 would be a super strong password, right? Just random gibberish. Well, guess what? You know that website, Have I Been Pwned, which stores a database of known compromised passwords? If you go and search Have I Been Pwned, it turns out that JI32K7AU4A83, random though it may seem, has actually been used as a password perhaps thousands of times. How is it possible that people all around the world have settled on what seems like a completely random string of numbers and letters all at the same time? Engineer Robert O. wondered this when he encountered JI32K7AU4A83 141 times in the Have I Been Pwned database and asked his Twitter followers to suss out the reason behind this odd phenomenon. And the solution turned out to be pretty simple. Quoting Gizmodo, the password is coming from the Zhou Yin Fu Hao system for transliterating Mandarin. The reason it's showing up fairly often in a data breach repository is because JI32K7AU4A83 translates to English as my password. I reached out to my friend Ben Mulcahy to help us verify what's going on here. Mulcahy is a graduate student in linguistics and Taiwan enthusiast who is focusing on endangered language documentation. He also regularly uses a Zhuyin keyboard, which is key to the riddle. Mulcahy told us it's the most common used system for typing in Taiwan. The phonetic system is recognized by Unicode, and Mulcahy confirmed that this is the general simplified version of how the translation breaks down when the characters interact, end quote. The piece then goes on to detail how the various keystrokes transliterate into letters and numbers and Mandarin characters, etc. Basically impossible for me to read to you out loud, but check it out if you want to learn how it works for yourself. And yeah, the bottom line is, a bunch of people in Taiwan are just lazy password creators. Although, lazy OPSEC, I guess, is just a fact of life the world over. That is all for today. Thank you, as ever, to Chris Higgins for filling in for me yesterday. You can follow his doings on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. You can follow my doings on Twitter, at BrianMCC. And, of course, follow the fruits of the TechMeme editor's labors anytime, day or night, at techmeme.com. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.